0: How are you today? Amen. Amen. you enjoy worshiping the Lord? Amen. The cool thing about heaven is going to be nonstop worship. And the angels are going to be ministering to the Lord. If you think you've ever heard a good choir, wait till the angels are doing it. We're in Revelation chapter 3. I'm going to read verses 9 through 13 in just a bit. We're going to conclude, God willing, our series on pleasing the Lord today. We spent many weeks on repentance and studying repentance, and we looked at all the churches in the book of Revelation that Jesus asked to repent. We noted that there was two churches in, out of the seven that weren't asked to repent. They were so pleasing to the Lord, He had no correction for them. He had no discipline for them, and He just affirms them. And we noted that these churches please the Lord. And you and I need to not only know what we shouldn't do, but we need to know what we should do. How many know people that focus on all the things they shouldn't do and they get so wound up and lathered up about it they forget to be doing what they should do? I shouldn't do this and I shouldn't do that and that's a sin and this is a sin and that might be a sin. But do we love and do we serve and do we laugh and do we lay our lives down for one another? Once we get busy doing the things we should do, we're going to please the Lord, and we're not going to have time to do the things we shouldn't do. So Philadelphia, like Smyrna, was pleasing to the Lord, and this is our fourth installment on this little sermon series here, Pleasing the Lord. I'm going to read verse 9 of Revelation 3 in just a minute. Let's thank God for the word. Father, we thank you this morning for this sermon series, for your word, for the book of Revelation how it reveals Jesus to us. We thank you for these churches that ones were corrected and ones were told to repent, where we see the things in our lives that need to be brought before you and repented of. But God, more than anything else, we want to learn to please you because we love you. You first loved us, and we want to love you back by living lives that are pleasing to you. So Holy Spirit, work in us today. Change us from the inside out by the power of your word. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Revelation 3, starting in verse 9, Jesus speaking Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie, I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and I will make them know that I have loved you. Because you have kept my word of perseverance, I also will keep you from the hour of testing, that hour which is about to come upon the whole world, to test those who live on the earth. I am coming quickly, hold firmly to what you have so that no one will take your crown. The one who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he will not go out from it anymore. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God and my new name, The one who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So, as we look at the text here of what's left in uh, chapter 3, looking at this church, Philadelphia, the church of brotherly love. Remember, uh, Philadelphia is the city of brotherly love. This church was a church that was marked by love, and the Bible teachers call it the favored church. Uh, When we love God and we love each other and love is the mark of who we are, that garners God's favor and it really garners the favor of everyone. Who who doesn't like people who, who love one another? Who doesn't like people that love you? You know, even though the people that love you may annoy you, you still love them. Is he talking about family? Yeah, I'm talking about family. Philadelphia was pleasing to the Lord, and in verses 9 through 12, uh, Jesus lists the rewards promised to Philadelphia because they pleased him at their great expense. You know, pleasing the Lord in a world that doesn't esteem the things of God costs us something. It comes in as an expense. How many have seen the, the cost of loving God, of, of believing the word of God, of avoiding sin, that it's cost you some friends, it's cost you some opportunities, it may have cost you some job promotions? Anybody work? Anybody have a job? So... There is a cost to serving Jesus. It puts us out of step with this world around us. And these guys paid the cost. They were in the Roman Empire, but they wouldn't worship Caesar. And because they wouldn't worship Caesar, they were stripped of their wealth. They were stripped of their houses. They couldn't conduct business. And because they would not commit, uh, you know, idolatry, they suffered. And so at their own great expense, they chose to please the Lord. And he's so pleased with them. That he offers them no correction, but he just uh, tells them, you know, what to do and encourages them that there's a reward laid up in heaven for you. You know, sometimes we forget, those of us who are serving the Lord, that there's a reward for us in heaven. Anybody excited about that? You know, and we don't focus on the reward. Why? Because we're not doing it for the reward. We, we serve God because we love Jesus. Amen. But there's a reward for us in heaven, and uh, these guys are being told what they're going to be rewarded, and it's an exciting list to look at. Realize everything we do now in this present world will affect our eternity. Let me say that again. Everything we do now in this present world, everything we do today will have an effect on our eternity. Is what we're doing pleasing to the Lord? Well, there's a reward attached to it. Is what we're doing, you know, pleasing to our flesh or in step with the world around us? Well, there's a penalty attached to it. So when you think like that, that everything I do matters, how many times we get in the middle of the day, in the middle of the week, in the middle of life, and we forget that what we do actually matters? You know, there's a lot of people, they get up in the morning, they go through their routine, they go to work, they pay bills, and and they're living life, but they're really not even living. We've got to have a bigger perspective. We've got to see the big picture. And the big picture is everything we do matters. Jesus said, if you give one who loves me a cold cup of water, in no ways will you lose your reward. If there's a reward for the littlest act of kindness, those in Philadelphia weren't, Serving God to get rewards, that's the wrong heart, but they loved Jesus enough to please him at their own expense, and they knew that the way they lived and the way they suffered and the way they refused to bow the knee to idols would pay off for them in eternity. Paul in Hebrews 11 writes what we call the uh, the hall of fame of faith, and he lists all the people who died in faith and all the benefits of faith, and we don't have time to get into all that, but I want to read you some of Hebrews 11, starting in verse 35, to give us this perspective here that our, what we do today matters in eternity. It says here, Paul speaking to the Hebrews in chapter 11, verse 35, women receive back their dead by resurrection, and other were tortured, not accepting their release so that they might obtain a better resurrection. Let's just stop right there. Did you hear that? People they could have been released. They could have got away. They could have avoided punishment. They could have escaped judgment. What? If they would just tone it down a little. If they just wouldn't speak in the name of Jesus. If they just would just not be so committed to Jesus that it was an offense to Rome. They could have avoided punishment, but they refused, what does it say? To accept their release so that they might obtain a better resurrection. Do you hear that? I want you to get that phrase in your spirit, a better resurrection. What is that implying? That means everything we do matters, and every decision we make, and every expenditure of our time, talent, and energy will pay off in eternity somehow. Why would you go through that? Why would you suffer that? Why would you endure that? To obtain a better resurrection. Well, the text continues. It says others experienced mocking and flogging and further chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were tempted. They were put to death with the sword. They went out in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, people of whom the world was not worthy. Wow. What a testimony that God would look down at his children, God would look down at his people and say the way they're living this world is not worthy of them. It's a sobering thought. Now, I don't recommend going to your boss on Monday and say, this place is not worthy of me. (laughs) But how many have ever felt like that at a job? You're like, man, these people are crazy. This guy, this one's lazy. This one's corrupt. This one's immoral. And what am I doing here? Ever felt like that? Yeah. Not working at the church, but I'm just saying why. Yeah. <laughs> the word says the, the world isn't worthy of them. Why? Because they pleased God so much. They sacrificed so much. They, they, they were willing to endure so much, what? To obtain a better resurrection. So what we do matters. What you do matters. How you live matters. There's a reward attached to every act of obedience and there's a penalty attached to every act of sin. The promised reward of verse 9 is Jesus himself will deal decisively with those who've mistreated us. Now, without getting us too excited, how many people have ever been mistreated? Amen. How many people have ever had people use them or abuse them? Amen. Anybody ever been taken advantage of? Amen. <laughs> P.T. Barnum said there's a sucker born every minute, and people take advantage of other people, right? People mistreat other people. Maybe, I mean, it sounds like a country song up here. You know, like, I've been mistreated, I've been taken advantage of, lost my truck in a poker game, you know. (laughs) But life is tough like that, and Jesus says, you know what, I see how people mistreat you, I see the injustice, and many times we don't think he sees because he doesn't take care of it immediately. How many, you know, growing up when you did something wrong and your parents, you know, caught you, you got immediately yelled at or punished? So if you think, you know, they didn't see or they didn't hear or they didn't say anything, you got away with it. We think that about God, but God sees everything and he doesn't miss anything. He's seen the things you've endured for his namesake. And there's a reward attached to those things. And the first thing, you know, he says here in verse 9, let's look at it. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan. Boy, you know, that's, that's quite a place to go to. Where do you attend church? The synagogue of Satan. <laughs> who say they are Jews and are not, but lie. I will make them come bow down before your feet. Make them know that I have loved you. Let's see what's going on there. Jesus is going to deal decisively with all those who mistreat his children. He says, I'm going to do a few things to the wicked on behalf of the faithful. I'm going to do a few things to the wicked on behalf of the righteous. Number one, Jesus will expose every spiritual counterfeit that persecuted his church. Look what he says here. Those who are the synagogue of Satan, not the church you want to attend, who say they are Jews and are not, but lie. There was a group who were not Jews anymore. They were just religious and lost. They were not serving God. They were not following the Old Testament. They were just religious people. And guess what? Religious people hated God's genuine chosen people. And they persecuted them. And this is what Smyrna suffered. And this is what Philadelphia suffered. And both times the synagogue of Satan is mentioned there. Jesus says, I'm going to correct them. I'm going to expose them. I will make them what? You know, the synagogue of Satan who say they're Jews and are lying. He's going to expose them in broad daylight as what? False religious impostors false teachers, false prophets, uh, you know, the ones who persecuted those who genuinely loved God. Jesus will publicly expose them and rebuke them before every eye. Now, we, we don't do that, but Jesus does. Just to clarify that. Well, I want to expose them. I want to rebuke them. I want to give them a piece of my mind. I want to write a long email to them. I want to argue with them on Facebook so everybody can see No, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will repay, amen. And Jesus is saying, I will repay those who have persecuted my church. He will expose them in the daylight. He's going to make everybody see that they were false, that they didn't have the right heart, that they were religious and lost, and they persecuted God's people. So number one, he'll expose them. Number two, he is going to humble the wicked, and he's going to exalt the faithful. You know, right now, it seems like if you're righteous, if you're godly, if you're moral, you're under attack. You're out of step with the world, and the woke world around us is going to let you know that you're out of line, and you have the wrong idea, and you believe the wrong things. And Anybody a Christian out there receiving any of that pushback? Amen. So Jesus says, I'm going to humble the wicked, and at the same time, I'm going to elevate, I'm going to exalt the faithful. Look, he says, I will make them come down, come bow down before your feet. I will make them know that I have loved you. Do you want to know what the worst punishment for a proud person is? To be publicly humiliated. See, proud people don't like to be... They don't like to be, uh, you know, humiliated. And to do it publicly is the worst possible scenario for them. Proud people don't like public humiliation. Jesus says he's going to do two things to the wicked. Number one, I'll make them bow down at your feet. Now, you're not letting this hit you because it's bouncing right off, boom. Because most of us think, I don't want anybody bowing down at my feet. Maybe some of you want people to bow down at your feet. But how many would say that that would be uncomfortable having anyone bow down at my feet? Yeah, I'm just writing down the people who are not shaking their head. <laughs> but it's a weird thing. you know. We, we know that there is one king who deserves worship. We know that Jesus deserves all the glory and the honor. We know that he's the king of kings and the Lord of lords, and he's worthy of our praise. But God says, I'm going to make them bow down at your feet. Now, bowing at another person's feet is a, t- a sign of total reverence and submission. God is going to finally allow his church to be reverenced, where they were mocked and they were criticized and they were marginalized and they were attacked and they were thrown out of the public square. Come on, second service. Come on, second service. This is the condition of what's going on in our world. Look, if you don't feel it, if you're not relating to any of this, you need to step up your game a little bit. You might not be enough a threat of the enemy that you re- I don't feel any resistance. Everything is, you know, everything is good. Step it up. Open up your mouth. Testify a little bit. Speak the name of Jesus. You'll get pushed back. You'll get pushed back. You won't look at me like you don't know what I'm talking about. But Jesus says, I'm going to make them come and bow down at your feet. He's going to totally humble them. He's going to make them reverence his church that they said, oh, you guys are crazy. You guys are freaks. You guys are religious fanatics. All of these accusations, all these insults, and then bowing down, it's a sign of submission. Now, I, now he says, I'll make them bow down. That's, that's uncomfortable enough. But then he says this, and it's powerful. I'll make them know that I have loved you. I want you to focus in on the part that says, I will make them know. How many have ever, you know, tried to maybe debate with a person who is obviously wrong about God or something, and you're trying to make them know the truth? How many find that that is an exercise in frustration? Have you ever just, I mean, just they can't see it. They don't, they got all these weird arguments and, you know, they bring up scriptures that are just obscure and, you know, and like, what about aliens and what about UFOs? And you're just like, I'm just trying to tell you, you, you need to get saved. I don't want to talk about Bigfoot and unicorns. You know, so it it, it gets off track. And Jesus says, I will make them know. A proud person's stronghold of pride is in their mind. Here's how a proud person thinks. I know it's right. I know what the truth is. I'm smarter than you, and you're wrong. And Jesus says, I'm going to show you who's wrong. Not your truth, their truth, this truth, that truth, but the truth. And I will make them know that I have loved you. Wow. This is powerful stuff. It's powerful stuff to realize that someday we're going to be vindicated. Someday we're going to be, you know, just given the proper honor. Not because of who we are. Not because we're anyone special. Just because we are the bride of Christ. God's a jealous God and God's a a passionate God and he doesn't like when his children uh, get taken advantage of. And he's watching. I'll make them bow down at your feet. I'll make them know that I loved you. He's going to deal with the stronghold of their mind. He's going to show them what the truth is. And he's going to make them say, yeah, I was wrong. You were right. You know, I persecuted the righteous. And you know what? These people are your people and you love them. And they're going to know the truth and submit to it. What a day when every spiritual liar and persecutor and counterfeit is exposed. What a day when every cult and false religion and false prophet is exposed, amen? What a day when God makes all the crooked things straight. I don't know about you, but the righteous should be looking forward to that. Right now, it doesn't seem like we have much power over crooked things. It seems like the crooked things get all the airtime, all the press, all the supporters. And we say, no, but but the word of God, no, but 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 and they're like, shh, I don't want to hear from you. Jesus is gonna set every crooked thing straight. He's gonna make them know that he is Lord and that we're his children. What a day. Now, verse 10 shifts gears into the promised reward for those who please the Lord. Remember, I said every act of obedience has, a, has a, a reward attached to it. And the second promise is this in verse 10. Because you have kept my word of perseverance, I also will keep you from the hour of the testing, that hour which is about to come upon the whole world to test those who live on the earth. Some people might read that and go, what is he talking about, testing an hour and this and all that? You know, let me just break it down for you really simple here. The second promise that Jesus is giving to the church and the people who please him is that they will not go through the seven-year tribulation period, that the whole, whole world is going through uh, we know the scripture enough i've taught through the book of revelation on uh, you know six months of sundays we've taught this we know that there is a time a seven-year period where the earth will be tested and the tribulation will be a time where god pours out his wrath And God is saying, you know what, I'm going to pour out my wrath. I'm going to test the whole world. I'm going to show that I'm God and that they ignored me and that they've rebelled against me. But you know what, you're going to be exempt from that testing because you've already passed the test and you've already loved me and you've already pleased me. In a wicked world, you've lived to please me. So you've passed the test. I don't know about you, but I, I, everything I know about the tribulation period and all the judgments and all the, all the wrath of God that's point out, I, I don't want to be here for that. Yet there are going to be people who call themselves Christians who say, Lord, Lord. But Jesus says, I don't know you. And though they went to a church that maybe had a steeple on it, they don't know him. And though, you know, they they may say, I believe in this and I believe in that. But they don't know him. They're going to go through that time of testing because they haven't yet pleased the Lord. Philadelphia is exempted. From the test, what a blessing that that is! What a shift of gears that that is! Believers who please the Lord now, uh, believers who are in Christ, who have a genuine relationship with Him, they pass the test. The tribulation period is a time of God's wrath. You and I are not made for wrath. Wrath—the wrath of God—is poured out on those who reject Jesus. Why? So that they would consider their ways and repent and come to Christ. But because we've already done that, and, and if we live to please God, we're going to be exempted from that, and that's a great thing. Now, unlike Philadelphia, who's promised exemption from the seven-year tribulation, Thyatira, another church mentioned in the book of Revelation by Jesus, is told that they would actually go through the tribulation. Think about that. Jesus is counting them as a church. Why? Because they name the name of Christ. They have a form of godliness, but they don't, you know, they deny the power of because they don't live the word and they're not in relationship with Jesus. They got rules. They got regulations. They got ceremonies. They got sacraments, but they have no relationship. And Jesus says to Thyatira, you guys are going through the tribulation. Listen to this. He says, I gave... Her time to repent. He's talking about Jezebel, the, the spirit that's over this church. And she does not want to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her on a bed of sickness, and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation. There it is. Unless they repent of her deeds. And I will kill her children with plague. And all the churches will know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts. And I will give to each one of you according to your deeds. Wow. This wasn't spoken to the world. This wasn't spoken to a cult. This wasn't spoken to the Mormons or the Jehovah's Witnesses. This was spoken to a place that called himself a church. But they practice immorality. They practice, uh, you know, this doctrine of Jezebel that, you know, would profiteer and merchandise and use the gospel as a, a way to advance themselves or entertain themselves. Does any of this sound familiar? It's in the world right now. And he says what? You know, you're going through the great tribulation. So one church is exempted and another is threatened with going through if they don't repent. And this is, a, this is a powerful reminder of the premise of this message that everything we do matters for eternity. Yes, we're saved by grace. Yes, you know, we're in Christ and covered by the blood. And if that's the case, we're safe and we're good. But playing games with God and pretending you have a relationship with him when you don't is a dangerous game to play. Verse 11 contains a reminder and a last standing order. Look what Jesus says here. I come quickly. Hold firm to what you have so that no one will take your crown. Now, the reminder is this. I'm coming quickly. How many would just like to point out the fact that Jesus' idea of quickly and our idea of quickly is a little different we, we think quickly in the sense of when we're in front of the microwave and we're like going. We think quickly when, you know, we order it off of Amazon and they, they knock at the door and they here it is. Anybody? No, you're all so patient that you have no idea what I'm saying. No, no, we want things done immediately, yesterday, if not Sooner right? But, but Jesus said said these things thousands of years ago, and he hasn't come yet. So we think, you know, well, his quickly is not our quickly, and that's a problem for us. Because listen, if we don't take what he said seriously to the point where it affects our daily living, we're not going to live a life of readiness, and when he comes, we won't be ready. I want you to think of him coming quickly in this sense. A lot of us, you know, our lives are winding down to the point where we could go home to be with Jesus at any time. And so, you know, if you're over a certain age, they say you're over the hill and you're on the downward side. Don't raise your hand. But, you know, it's like, how much longer do we have to live? Did you ever stop and think about that? 10, 20, 30, come on. It's like, so in that sense, well, I don't know if Jesus is coming back today, tomorrow, 10 years, 1,000 years, but my life is gonna be over at some point. You know, in May, mine was over for a few minutes and I I was not breathing and my heart stopped beating. And in that sense, Jesus was coming for me quickly. If the Lord hadn't graciously allowed me to be revived and come back, he would have came for me. So, understand, our days are numbered. We have a beginning and we have an end. And God is coming for us. He's coming to meet us, amen. And the thing that we've got to ask ourselves am I ready to meet Him? On May 1st, when my heart stopped, was I ready to meet Him? Was I ready to stand before Him? Was I ready to give an account for my life? It's a sobering thought. Our timing's not his timing. Our our ways are not his ways. He has given us a reminder he's coming quickly. Maybe our quickly and his quickly don't line up, but he's coming for us. And he wants us to live ready. So that's the, uh, that's the reminder he's given them. Guys, live ready. Live ready. Don't waste your time, you know, amassing a pile of treasure and wealth and achievements and all of these things that are secondary to knowing me, secondary to doing the work of the kingdom, secondary from completing the unique will of God for your life. Put God first. Put the call above all. Amen. And seek Jesus. That's the reminder today. Not only does he give them a reminder, but he gives them a last standing order. And I like this. He says, I'm coming quickly. We understand that, Lord. Help us to live ready. Hold firm to what you have so that no one will take your crown. See, he wants you to grab on to what you have. What do you have? You have gifts. You have opportunities. You have a call on your life. You have an anointing on your life. Come on. You have Christ in you, the hope of glory. You have the Holy Spirit of God. Hold on to it hold on to it. Amen? There needs to be some tenacity into the way we hold on to the things of God. You ever shake somebody's hand and it's like a wet fish? I hate that. I just want to squeeze until I hear bones cracking. You know, because I, it's just, what, what is it? It's a lack of, you know, it's like a lack of passion. It's like, it's like they don't even care. that how do you hold on things? Do you, do you hold on things like, oh, just you know, just kind of loosely. Or do you, you hold on tight? You see what he's saying is hold on. He's talking about tenacity, a a death grip. You got to have a grip like the woman with the issue of blood. She didn't just, you know, kind of just wander through the crowd and just touch Jesus. No, she grabbed the hem of his garment. She put a grip on it. She had tenacity. She had passion. She had faith. She had expectation. And what happened? The, The virtue of God came through Jesus and touched her and healed her from the top of her head to the soles of her feet. Because she held on tight. And we need to hold on tight. We need to get passionate. We need to wake up. We need to be excited about the Lord. Amen. You know, sometimes Jesus is not the most important things in our lives, and it really shows. You know, if you can sit in church while I'm preaching like this, like a statue, there's something wrong with you. Well, I'm just shy. I'm just reserved. No, you're not. I've seen you at football games. I've seen you when your stupid team is winning. Yay, the ball went in the hole. And you're all excited. Foolishness. But in church, we should be excited about the things of God, amen? We should be excited about the kingdom of God. We should be excited about the fact the Lord is coming for us, amen? That our names are written down in the Lamb's book of life. That we, we belong to Jesus, amen? Don't let me catch you getting more excited. I'll watch you in church. If I see you getting excited, I'm going to come after you. I'll embarrass you in public. You better dance like that in church. You better shout like that in church. You better jump up and down like that in church. Amen. (laughs) Like some people are thinking, this is the last time I come to this church. (laughs) But you know what I'm saying? Passion, a grip. Hold on firmly to what you have. I love the so that no one will take your crown. See, there's a reward attached to the, those who are tenacious, those who love God, those who are pleasing God. There's a reward attached to that. And, and Jesus is saying, don't let anyone steal from you what you've earned. You've loved me. You've served me. You've refused to worship Caesar. You won't bow down the knee to idolatry. And, and there's a reward for that. But don't let anyone steal it from you. I don't want to say to you, listen, Christian, don't let anybody steal your lunch. Don't let anybody take your reward from you. You say, well, how does that happen? Through indifference, through laziness, through spiritual laziness. Well, I can't lose it. Oh, yes, you can. Jesus said, I didn't say you'd lose your salvation. That's a free gift. But I'm saying the reward here. He says, so that no one will take your crown if they couldn't take it, Jesus wouldn't have said it that way. So grab on tight to what you have. Grab on tight to the things of God in your life. Grab on tight to your faith and your hope and your love and your morality. Amen. the last standing order here. In the military, when uh, a person is given an order, if, if their commanding officer says, hold this position here and and and, and don't fall back, that doesn't mean, you know, when, when the shooting starts that they can just run away and come back, uh, you know, at headquarters and go, what are you doing here? Well, they started shooting, you know, and it's, It got got dangerous, and I didn't sign up for that. No, you had an order to hold that ground there, to hold that position. That means to the last man, to the last bullet, to the last drop of blood. Is anybody passionate about the things of God? Oh my gosh, this is such a generation. Help us, Lord. Help us, Lord to be passionate and excited about the things of God in a world that's a world that's wayward and a church that's lukewarm. Help us, Lord. A last standing order. That word firmly there is translated into English, hold fast in the King James, and it's from the Greek word katekeo, and it means to possess, to retain, to take, to withhold, to seize. Are you getting the sense of tenacity there? I want you to catch the forcefulness and tenacity that God is asking for when he says, hold firmly. A loose grip will not cut it. A loose grip will not survive the shaking, but a firm grip will allow us to maintain what we have possessed in Christ. There's nothing lazy, sloppy, or indifferent, or casual about the kind of Christianity the Bible teaches us to live we should know that our enemy is playing for keeps and that he wants to destroy our faith and destroy our testimony and keep us from doing the unique will of God for our lives. But Jesus is reminding those who love him to hold firm and don't let anybody take your crown. Verse 12 through 13 lists some various rewards for those who overcome. You know, whether we like to admit it or not, all of us like rewards, all of us like presents, all of us like, I mean, if someone came to you today in the parking lot as you're walking out of church and gave you the keys to a brand new luxury car, you know what? You'd be like, no, nah, I'm okay. I'll just. And the fact, some of you just woke up for the first time in church. <laughs> Say, somebody give me a car. It's like we like rewards. We like, you know, (laughs) at time. you're like, man, I hope there's nothing under the tree for me. I hope, man, I hope they didn't get me anything. Come on. Like, I want some Cabela's gift card. You know, it's like we like rewards, and Jesus knows that. Why? Because he wired us that way. And he lists a whole bunch of rewards here, but they're for specific people. They're for overcomers. Listen to verse 12. To the one who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he will not go out from it anymore, and I will write on him. Uh Uh-oh, Jesus is writing on us in eternity now? You know, I don't know how you feel about tattoos, but it looks like we're about to get some. He's going to write on us, amen? He's going to mark us. And, you know, it says here uh, that, you know, he's going to put a few things on those who love him as a reward. I will write on him the name of my God, the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God and my new name. So three things. You're getting three tattoos whether you like it or not. You know, the description of Jesus in the book of Revelation is that he has, you know, King of kings and Lord of lords written on his thigh. Now, I don't have any tattoos, but, you know, I've heard it said before, you don't put a bumper sticker on a Ferrari, okay? So <laughs> I don't need tattoos. But, but we're going to get marked up in heaven. We're going to get marked up in heaven. We're going to have the name of God on us. What what is that saying? He's saying, I mark you forever. Tattoos are permanent. You belong to me to the point where my name is on you. I'm going to put the name of the new Jerusalem on you. And Jesus says, my new name. Jesus is going to have a new name for all eternity. We don't know what it is, but it's going to be on us. And what does that show? That we belong to him. Permanently affirmed permanently marked, we have membership, access permanently in the presence of God. look what it says here, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. How many know what a pillar is? Like that thing in the middle of the sanctuary there where, you know, every time we have a wedding, the bride has to do a juke move to get around it. You know, that's a pillar, okay? I want you to notice something about pillars. They're not meant to be moved, When a pillar is put there, it's meant to hold up a whole lot. It's structurally powerful. The the, the design of it, the way the bass flares out and the whole, they flute them, and that adds extra strength. So a pillar is a strong, permanent, unmovable thing. And he's saying, "What? I'm going to make you a pillar, so let's pay attention. All right, I'm going to be a strong, permanent thing. Where? In the temple of my God." You read the, the chapter 4 of the book of Revelation, it describes the throne room of God. It's just an amazing scene with angels worshiping him, with the 24 elders, you know, worshiping him. It's just, a, it's, a, it's an amazing celebration in the presence of God. That's where you and I are going to be placed as an unmovable object, as a pillar in the presence of God. Man, if you're, you ain't excited about that, I hope they make you stand outside heaven for the first million years. And you hear the party going, and you're like, I want to come inside. They're like, well, you didn't clap when Pastor Rick was preaching good, and now you got to stand out for the first. (laughs) But he says, I'm going to make you a pillar. Look, and he will not go out anymore, a permanent fixture in the presence of God. That's the reward for those who overcome. So what you do every day matters because overcomers are rewarded. I will write on him. There it is, the name of my God, the name of the city of my God, and my new name. Getting some ink in heaven. Going to be marked up. There's a picture that I had that I showed first service today. You know, because we're getting marked up, we're getting crowns, we're getting all these things. And you see all the medals on the chest of those guys there? That's That's a lot of... That's a lot of swag right there. Yes. And, you know, if you know anything about the military, they call that chest candy or fruit salad or just salad. They, those are all medals of, you know, their service and what unit they were in and what campaigns they fought in, maybe if they're wounded. There's all kinds of symbolism there. But basically, you know, anyone who looks at those guys knows that these are decorated. That's what it, when you hear that term, a decorated war hero, amen. You and I are going to get to heaven, and God wants to mark us up. God wants us to have crowns. He wants us to have rewards. Why? Because they designate who we are in heaven. You don't want to get to heaven, and all you get is like a pair of, you know, heavenly undergarments. (laughs) Where's 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 your rewards? Where's your crown? Where's your... Well, I was a lazy Christian. I was on the Internet for eight hours a day. I didn't pray. I did everything else but kingdom things. You're going to be in heaven? God wants to decorate his people. He wants to reward the overcomer. He wants us to have a designation, to have a a visual representation of how we loved him, of how we served him, of the fact that we laid our lives down for the gospel. And you might think, well, I don't need any of that, but God wants you to have it so you have something to throw at his feet, something to offer him, something that says you loved him back for the way he loved you. Heaven swag. Live in such a way that God can reward you as an overcomer. Today, we finish with Philadelphia noting that they pleased the Lord, noting that they refused to be in step with the world, and it's a reminder to us that he's coming quickly for us. Some of us don't know how much longer we have to be here, and in a a heartbeat, we're going to stand before God. Let's live a life of readiness so that that meeting will be a joyful one. So at that moment, we'll hear, Well done, good and faithful servant. Amen. Understand today, those who live to please the Lord will enjoy all the blessings of heaven, complete access and, you know, identification with the Lord, that he's going to put his name on us and make us pillars, and we're forever going to be in the presence of God. There's no one in heaven going, man, I wish I would have not did so much for Jesus or got so serious about the Lord. There's no one in heaven saying that. But I bet you there are people who are saying, I wish I would have served more. I wish I would have gave more. I wish I would have been more serious about the call of God on my life. Yes, yes. Salvation's a free gift, but there are rewards for the overcomer and for those who live to please the Lord. Let's bow our heads today. Father, I just thank you, Lord God for the reminder of this word father for the last standing order we have to hold our ground for our, the reminder we have that you're coming quickly lord we want to live to please you we don't want to please ourselves father help us to deal with our flesh and help us to deal with the laziness of our flesh lord and help us to be heavenly minded and focused on the kingdom That's for each of us to wake up tomorrow and to realize the way I live today will impact my eternity. I want to live in such a way that Jesus can say the world was not worthy of him. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on, give him praise this morning.